Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation. We're here to talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Jennifer Jones is a Canadian superstar and curling legend. Her list of accolades and championships is too long to name, reaching the pinnacle with an Olympic gold medal in 2014. Jennifer is humble, warm, driven, generous, and a quintessential Manitoban. There's a lot of things outside of our control in life, but how we behave, how we react, how hard we work, that's all within our control. And as long as you go out there and you work your hardest, you're always going to feel good about yourself. And I always, I always tell my kids to chase their dreams. I sat down with Jennifer to talk about performing under pressure, dealing with personal and professional loss, honoring her late father and what it means to be a champion. Because of my family and community and the strength they give me, I am never scared to fail. Jennifer Jones, thank you for being on the Because and Effect podcast. We are at the Granite Curling Club. How, uh, I mean, first question, what does, it, what does it feel like to come back to these clubs over the years after all your accolades and all of your championships and, and whatnot? There's nothing like curling in Winnipeg. It's where we grew up. It gets that feeling of being a kid again and where it all began for us. And we're so lucky that the city of Winnipeg and Manitoba has been so supportive of our team. So we're fortunate that there's summer ice at the Granite. So we don't have to travel to Edmonton or to Toronto to, to train and practice and get ready for our first event. Curling is Manitoba's sport, I think. You know, I, I remember going home after church to my grandma's and we would always have the Scotties Tournament of Hearts on or whatever tournament it happened to be and people would be yelling at the TV, hurry hard, hurry hard. I mean, has curling always been a part of your life growing up? It de- most definitely has been always a part of my life. My dad was super active in the curling community and growing up he was always volunteering at the St. Mattel Curling Club. We we grew up there. My daycare was at the curling club. Everybody, all the workers knew who my sister and I were and they would take care of us while my parents were curling. And we basically grew up there and it was really seeing my dad and the passion he had for the St. Mattel Curling Club and how he always wanted to give back. And it was never about what he received. It was always about just giving back to the club that gave him so much and to ensuring that the youth and the next generation would have the opportunities that he had to be a part of a community, a family, a friendship, which is what the St. Mattel gave my dad. So I think the St. Mattel Curling Club gave me a lot of things. It showed me what curling was all about, which has become obviously one of my passions in life. But It also demonstrated to me what volunteerism can do, what bringing people together can do, what having a a club and a sense of everyone coming together for the greater good and just this sense of accomplishment that, I don't know, it's second to none. And I, my dad inspired that in me. And to the day that he died, he, he volunteered at that club and ensured that the junior program would continue and thrive. It's rare that you can find a community in your passion as well, right? Like, and, and have it work so cohesively. How important has that been for your career to just have those two things intertwined and always have that support system when you're trying to make a run at something that's, you know, a very rare thing to make a living at, right? Being a professional athlete. I I don't think that we would have had the success that we've had without the support that we did. Um, and looking back, my parents never missed a big event, 
but I don't think any member of the St. Michelle Curling Club missed watching a big event on TV or the, the amount of fans that would come to the airport to welcome us home or the messages that we would receive when we were away. I, I just remember being at the Olympics and thinking how proud we were to represent Winnipeg and Manitoba on this international stage because it felt like it was this out-of-body experience where, yes, we were representing Team Canada and Team Jones and ourselves in a way, but we really did believe that we were representing every person in Canada and to live, to give them the opportunity to live vicariously through us and what we were trying to achieve. And so I don't believe, I always knew that at the end of the day, make it or miss it, we were going to have so many people there lifting us up and supporting us. And it didn't matter if we came home with a gold or not. It was all about just that they knew that we were always going to do our best. And because of that, we had the strength and the courage to go out there and perform at our very best. And our best was good enough. Well, I was going to ask, is that pressure a good thing when you're a current professional? You know, is that a good thing to have the weight of a nation on your shoulders? Or is it kind of like, did that add to the nerves when you're sitting in there and getting ready to throw your last shot? I think it depends on who you talk to. Mm. I've always loved the pressure. Uh, I even tell my six-year-old daughter now, because sometimes she'll get a little bit nervous at a gymnastics competition. And I say to her, if you're not nervous, it means that there's no uncertainty. And then you also don't get that rush of exhilaration of accomplishment. Uh, it's the nerves that make it worthwhile. It's kind of like a roller coaster. You know, the adrenaline rush and the feeling. If, if sport was a guarantee and you knew you were going to win, it would take the excitement out of it for the fans, for the players, for everybody. So I think for me, the pressure's always been something that exhilarates me, excites me, makes me want more of. Um, but I've also never been because of my parents, for the most part, I've never been scared to lose. And getting over that fear of losing and, and being willing to put it all in, to put all of yourself into something and not worry about the outcome was one of, for me, the biggest reasons that I was able to just put it all out there and never be scared of, of the results. Well, feel of, fear of failure is one of the biggest hindrances to anything, whether you're an artist, an athlete. So how are you going to try to impart that lesson to your daughters it's it's interesting because all of a sudden you become a mom and you're like how did my mom tell me these things right and my mom was an oncology nurse and she always had this perspective that you had to live every second and every day in life to its fullest and to always the glass was always half full according according to my mom so I always tell my kids that all I care about is that they do their best and they chase their dreams and I know every parent tells their, their children that. But if you ask my kids, what is the one thing that I tell them? They'll say that I always tell them they can do anything. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if they're the best in the world at it, but they can participate, they can enjoy, they can thrive, they can put everything of themselves into something if they enjoy it. And if you do that and then you walk away, you're always going to succeed. Even if you're not the very best in the world, you'll personally succeed. And, and that to me is with everything in life, whether it's school, whether you're painting or you're hanging out with your friends, if you can commit fully and be the best friend that you can be, or you can be the best coworker you can be, or the best teammate or, or anything, if you can guarantee that you can give everything of yourself to something, you're going to walk away feeling like you accomplished and, and never have regret. Well, the best version of yourself, it doesn't compared to other people in the world. It doesn't matter if you're second or third or 10th or 11th, as long as you're the best version of you in that race or in that moment. Yeah. And as, as long as you, I always tell my, my daughter who's in gymnastics, nobody will, nobody can ever outwork you because you can control that. 
it, there's a lot of things outside of our control in life, but how we behave, how we react, how hard we work, that's all within our control. And as long as you go out there and you work your hardest, you're always going to feel good about yourself. And I always, I always tell my kids to chase their dreams, to never, ever let anybody tell them they can't accomplish anything. And that's why they'll say that if I, if they ask, if you were to ask them, they would say that they can do anything. There's one thing saying that and then there's a one thing living it and sort of being the example and it seems as though your dad was the example of of someone volunteering his time making sure people who needed it had the help that they deserved has that rubbed off on you like just naturally or have you made it a point to like okay i gotta follow in those footsteps my dad had huge foots huge <laughs> shoes to fill like i always say and i i always knew it but then when he passed away and i really reflected on it my dad always had time for everybody do you know how you'll phone people especially today's world and say how are you oh I'm busy is what most people say and I really believe that we are busy like the world has just created this constant almost chaos but my dad was never busy he always made time for everybody whether they needed him to help shovel their driveway build a fence, come and watch their kids, volunteer at this, that, and the next thing. My dad always said yes. And I made a promise to him that a long time ago that I was hoping that I could never be busy, that I'd always have time. And sometimes I feel like maybe I've failed in that, that just life has not failed, but just, you know, life gets in the way and you're trying your best. And, but it was, my promise to him when he passed away that I'd always make time for everybody and that I would never be busy. And my dad was the person who would always call you on your birthday, who would always send you a message, would be the first to call all of his family members on Christmas. Um, so he set this tremendous example of what it was like to truly give and never really care about what you got back. And then my mom is just this, everybody, my mom is just the kindest, most caring person who was like who was an oncology nurse and who just went out of her way to ensure that everybody felt happy and so I was raised in this environment where um, self-focus was really never something that my parents ever thought about it was always just about making sure that their family environment was cared for that my sister and I were loved and cared for and that all of their friends were loved and cared for and all of the people around them so I only hope that I can be half as good as my parents were. Well, thank you for making time for us. I know you're kind of battling strep throat right now yeah. and everything. I mean, this is incredible of you to sit down with us for, for this chat. Um, your dad's obviously a great man, was a great man. Mm -hmm. But how? what was the dynamic like of the coaching aspect? You know, it's kind of weird. My dad coached me in hockey for years, and it's kind of a weird dynamic when you have to be reprimanded sometimes or you have to be coached or guided in a certain direction or if you do something maybe not correct. How, what was his coaching style? I guess I, sh I can ask. You know what? We really never fought. Really? No, I loved having my dad out here. He was the first person who taught me how to curl. And I look back and we're doing things nowadays that my dad did when I first started curling that people thought he was crazy. Like what? Just how you p technical things okay, on how you position rocks. And, um, yeah, my dad, my dad believed it was the best way. And now we haven't gone quite as far as my dad thought we should, mm. But it's definitely evolved and it's just interesting to me. Like he was always very analytical and always analyzing our games, technical strategy. And I'm an analytical person. So it was really, I was kind of, my dad had girls and I was, I was t a tomboy. So a little bit of the son he never had. So we, we would just sit down and talk about curling and, 
but he also, there was a mutual respect. He also really respected me. Mm. So if I said, you know, dad, but I, I don't quite understand this, he would sit down and know that I'm very analytical. And it wasn't that I was like not agreeing with him. It was just that I needed him to explain it in a different way. So for me, it really worked quite well. Um, but then my, my dad was great. He knew that once we achieved a certain level, like in order to, and not that he couldn't get us to the next level, but we needed a different perspective. And so he was the one that said, you know what? I, I think I've done what I can. I've taught and, you all I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for me, actually, to be honest, in that moment, it was unbelievable to have my parents just being my parents so that if I was frustrated or if I was sad about something, it wasn't just my coach. It was now my parents and I could go and talk to them as curling parents instead of as a coach of a team. So it actually kind of evolved into this. He was still a sounding board for me, but just in a different role. So I'll, I'll never forget all the moments that we had and, and him sitting in the stands. And I still believe that he'll be, he'll still have a stopwatch in hand watching us from above. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, do you, have have you started to coach your daughter in when it comes to gymnastics at all or are you kind of trying to go hands off or what's your approach in that situation well i'm definitely not an expert in gymnastics right. so i i just sort of the champion mindset yes yeah, you know, like so i firmly believe like i want her i always say to her coach you do what you need to do like i and her coach is unbelievable we're so fortunate her coach coach is incredible um but what i talked to her about is just her first competition she was nervous and so we talked about how I feel when I'm curling and why I don't get nervous. And I, I think it really resonates with her and just trying to teach her how to perform under pressure and to just never put so much pressure on herself that she doesn't enjoy the moment. And I wish that somebody had taught me that at a younger age, because I feel like it wasn't until a big loss in my career that I really understood that losing wasn't so bad. And I was always scared to lose until that moment. And to, and after that, it's it's just been a, a completely different mindset for me. So that's one thing that I can definitely help Isabella with and Skyla when she gets a little bit older is just that performing under pressure. and But also just knowing that their mom and their dad are going to be there for a hug after the game. And, and at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. A lot of the most successful people you, you talk to or see or hear about talk about those failures and those losses. And you never really forget the big losses in, in some cases. Do you have one? Well, you just said the mm -hmm. first big loss. Was that something that you're you're always going to forget? Or sorry, always going to remember? And then was there ever a bigger loss than that first one? No, that was the biggest loss right. because nothing else. I never let anything else impact me after that. So I was a junior during that loss. So this is a long, long time ago. And I cried um, on national TV. <laughs> I <laughs> cried and I was very sad and it could be a long time to recover. And then when I looked back and I reflected, I realized that I didn't even enjoy the moment. Like my dream was to play in this, this game. And I was so worried about the outcome that I actually didn't even enjoy it. So I, th I, I thought to myself, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. So going forward, all I care about is just enjoying it. And we've been fortunate enough to win more than we've lost, but we've lost a fair share of big games and I can tell you that I've slept okay that night like I yeah you might think about a shot here or a shot there but I'm just so feel so privileged that we've had the opportunity to actually play in those moments yeah. but you you play looser you play you play better when you're loose and if, if you're all you know tightened up because you're so scared of losing then of course you're gonna you know not curl it quite perfectly or not make the shots that you yeah. need to make yeah and and it wasn't even for me, it wasn't even about performance. It was just about 
Like I always say, I know I always smell the ice. I could, and I could close my eyes and I could put myself in any given moment. And that whole game was a blur because I was just so focused on the end of it and what was going to happen that I, I didn't take time to appreciate and, and feel honored to actually be in that situation. And it's just not why I ever wanted to be an athlete. Like I didn't sign up. I didn't sign up as for curling because I thought I was going to win the Olympics one day. I signed up for curling because I loved it. Yeah. Like I still think I love it as much or more than anybody. Like I love the feeling of being out there. So if I'm out there and I'm not enjoying it, then why am I doing this? And so I didn't want competing to take away the joy of why I loved the sport in the first place. And, and after that loss, I can, I, I, it, I've always enjoyed every moment and that's why I'm still playing today. That's kind of a, that's kind of a cautionary tale for parents who are putting their kids in hockey or curling or anything at a young age and then focusing on you, you win and be the best and do the best when it should just be about the love of the game because that's when you're going to have the most success anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about what you're focused on now. Where are you, what are you looking towards professionally? What are you hoping to achieve in the next f- few years? Well, curling wise, we're, we're definitely looking towards the next Olympics in three years and uh, always the first year after the Olympics, you kind of take a, a little bit of a slow down, a little bit of a breath. And so we're really gearing up over the next three years. And I'm really excited about that. And um, professionally, I'm trying to figure out what that what that looks like. I've got two young kids now and uh, trying to figure out the balance between um, between them and working and uh, and curling. So it's kind of a work in progress, but I'm also uh, I'm also a board a board member on the Special Olympics Canada board, which I'm thoroughly enjoying and very involved in my kids and their lives and their uh, and all all that they're doing. So I'm not sure where it's going, but it's it's evolving, and I'm starting to kind of put stuff. To, in place as to how I want the future of Jennifer Jones to look like. Right. Well, it's a marathon, right? It's obviously not just going to be a sprint for, mm. for the next few years. I hope it's a marathon. Definitely. You always want it to be a marathon. Well, let's talk about the board that you're on and, and a little bit of the volunteerism and the causes that you've been uh, in support of in the past. Um, obviously, your parents have had a huge influence on that, but why is it important to you to give back and to, and to really focus on helping others who want to achieve their dreams? You know, because I just feel... I can't believe, to be honest, that I've gotten to experience all the things that I get to, I've gotten to experience. Like I pull out my Olympic gold medal and I still can't believe it's mine. And there were so many people that helped me and believed in me from like the first coach at the St. Mattel Junior Curling Club who's, who thought I had potential and made me skip in my first year. Like all those little people, all those little people, all those people along the way, those little moments that um, kind of shape your life. And I always wanted to give back because I felt like I lived a great life with great parents and uh, I saw some not so fortunate people growing up in a, an environment that was different than mine and I, I just felt like it was kind of not a duty but something that we owed society uh, and, as, and especially children uh, just sport has changed my life I was um, this young girl shy wallflower who couldn't look at anybody in the eyes and now I can go and curl in front of millions of people on TV and speak in front of thousands of people and sports changed that for me team sports being involved in sports gave me confidence a community it gave me friends I had a hard time making friends because I was so shy and then all of a sudden I was in a sporting community and I felt like I belonged for the first time in my life 
And I think about those kids that never feel like they belong. And that makes me sad because there's this whole community that if they could just become a part of, it's almost an instant family. So I really would hope that all kids have the opportunity and I know all kids don't. So I try to try to give back in that way. And, and I, I just love curling. So obviously I, I love being on the ice and trying to help my kids and, and this, and special Olympics, it, it also reminds me of my challenges. A lot of special Olympic athletes, uh, aren't included in society in a way that we would like them to be. And they don't have a sense of community before joining the special Olympics. And, and then all all of a sudden they, they become part of the special Olympics family and it's changed their lives and it changes their family's lives. It's almost an instant change. It's instantaneous. And honestly, it's the most emotional thing I've ever experienced. When I went to my first special Olympic event for the first time and I was talking to the families and they were very emotional talking to me about how their, their kids never had one friend. And all of a sudden now they've got this social network and it's life changing. It gives them confidence that they can lead a normal life and um and they, they they belong. Everybody, every person in the world should feel like they belong. And I know that we all don't. And so I believe that we as people have an obligation to try to include people. And that's why I love the inclusion revolution of the uh, Special Olympics movement because we all should be included as one society, as one family, as one community, as Canadians and um it's it's pretty powerful stuff and and then I'm the Sanders Schmirler Foundation is uh it's a curling charity that uh was created uh when Sanders Schmirler fa- passed away and it helps baby in, babies in crisis and I used to be involved um I used to be on the board for the Health Sciences Center Foundation here in Winnipeg and just the what healthcare can do for a community for a city and just leading edge cutting edge how it can help families help young people help aging people just I, it's just so essential to creating a really healthy place to live. So I try to stay involved and um, at the same time try to be a great mom to my kids and a great teammate and a great wife and a professional. So it's got its challenges, but it's very rewarding. A lot of plates are spinning, but you can keep them spinning. Life would be boring if the plates weren't spinning. Exactly. Sometimes they crash to the ground, but you can put That's them back okay. together. Yeah. Well, I don't think people really understand the level of volunteerism that goes into curling, even at the highest level. Like a lot of these tournaments and things would not be able to exist without volunteers and without people who are just giving their time and energy, even at the, like things that are on TSN are still volunteer run in a, in a lot of cases. So like maybe just help people understand curling. And it's very similar to the special Olympics in that it is volunteer driven and volunteer run. And without them, there would not be a curling Manitoba, a, the strength of curling in Manitoba that we have right now. Oh, the events wouldn't be possible without volunteers. And we always go out of our way to make sure we thank all the volunteers. And a lot of them, they do it year after year after year after year. They're like my dad. Like they just, and every time we go back to Calgary, we're expecting to see the same people and you kind of catch up. It's become part of a network, but uh, the events couldn't happen without volunteers. And a lot of them actually, they almost have to set a limit on the number of volunteers they'll accept because there's so many that want to volunteer for these these events. So it's really special to, to see the passion that people have for the sport that you love. And it also kind of rubs off on you and you realize that all the, the great things and the great moments that I've experienced in my life that our team has experienced, um, would not have happened without volunteers. We could have been curling 
which would have been okay, but we could have been curling on a in a curling club ice with 10 people watching. And instead, we got to have the Olympic trials at the MTS Center in front of all of Winnipeg because Winnipeggers t- stepped up and volunteered. So that never, ever goes unnoticed. And the fact that uh, those people were the reason that our dreams came true mm-hmm. um, is something that, thank you, just never seems good enough. I'm learning only recently now that I have time and the privilege to volunteer in certain places, how much of a personal benefit it is. Like people, I think people have a misconception that volunteerism is just taking my time and taking my energy. But in, when you actually do it, you're like, Oh, this is giving me energy and it's giving me happiness and enjoyment. How do you think we can convince people of the, of the value, the personal value to volunteering, not just not just the value to your, to your community. Just go to one event. And you're hooked. Yeah. Uh, we'll sit around the board room t- table and we all say that we've received more at the Special Olympics from the athletes than the athletes will ever receive from us. They've taught us so much about life, about uh, just sportsmanship. I'll never forget the Canadian Championship. One of the teams w- was having trouble scoring in a basketball game with seconds to go the opponent actually lifted one of them up to the basket so they could score. Like they don't, they don't care about outcome. They want everybody to succeed. So what we learn from that is true sportsmanship and what sport is all about or what it's supposed to be about. So I always say to people, if you're not sure if you want to volunteer, go to one event and you're going to be hooked for life. Definitely. Yeah. I just got tingles just thinking or shivers just thinking about that. Um, Do you think, your history or your background in corporate law um, helped with the nerves of steel that you need to be a at top level curler or vice versa, maybe, or did the curling help with your ability to deal with the board, the lawyer rooms? I think it was a give and take on both sides. Like I find there's so many similarities between being an athlete and like being on the curling ice and being in the boardroom, like just dealing with nerves, time management, performing under pressure, working with a team, bringing out the mm-hmm. best in your teammates, reaching deadlines, you know, reevaluating how things are progressing and maybe having to make adjustments so you can make those quarterly goals. It, our curling team operates very much like that where we're constantly trying to see where we're at and how we can improve. And so a lot of the skills were transferred from my curling team to my practice as a lawyer, but then I also learned a lot as a lawyer that – transferred to the curling ice and and I I think the one thing that curling really gave me was the ability to to perform under pressure and uh and that really helped me uh when I when I became a lawyer that's huge for sure um we had Jonathan Taves who you're aware of um support our nourishing potential campaign here in Winnipeg at the foundation um how important is like nutrition and being able to have healthy food for kids and for adult for everyone to you extraordinarily important yeah we're very particular about what we feed our children and uh, it's hard because we spend most of our life traveling all over the place yeah yeah. so the first thing our team does is hit the grocery store because uh, it's usually a good way to kind of to try to make sure that you're fueling fueling your body with good things but uh, nutrition and children their brains are growing their little bodies are growing all we want for our kids is to give them the opportunity to to reach their full potential and uh in my opinion, th- they can only do that if they have all the proper tools to do that. And nutrition is one of them. So, uh, as 
my kids get excited as excited over a cucumber as they do a sucker. So it's um, that's parenting done right. I'd well, say. I'm not I'm not <laughs> saying that. I just they really like cucumbers and raspberries. Those are their Ooh. two favorite things. But uh, for us, we try to eat as well as we can. More so out of competition. Not that we don't when we're at an event, but it's harder when you're traveling. And so when we're at home, we try to keep it as good as we can. But um, yeah, you, you, but I also tell people. Don't be so hard on yourself, mm. you know, like you can't be perfect all the time and you've got to allow yourself to, to have little blips because if not, you're just going to feel like you're failing every day of your life and that's no way to live. Definitely. Um, we're getting to the end of our time together. I, I'm supposed to ask you, uh, do you have any stories about Prince Charles and perhaps meeting him? I do. Okay. Could you tell us I'm that, trying please? to, well, so we, I, I received the order of Manitoba from Prince Charles, actually. He wow. was. It was when he was in town. It was quite an honor. No kidding. Um, and he made a joke, and now you're putting me on the spot, and I can't remember what it was. Quite funny. What did he say? He gave me. He shook my hand, and he said something about curling, and then he laughed, and we laughed, and it was actually quite. He was quite funny. So we, I, he was just a perfect gentleman, and and way more witty than I actually anticipated him to be I thought maybe more stuffy yeah when of. you see him on tv he seems so proper not that he wasn't proper but he was he was quite enjoyable to talk to and funny and um definitely a thrill of a lifetime for me to actually meet him and to shake his hand I, I don't it's like I said like I sometimes pinch myself at what's happened in my life and it's crazy well it's, it's crazy to think well you're very humble still and 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 obviously that's a big part of who you are but like it's weird to think about people who you know knowing you first or you know like meeting someone and be like oh yes I'm a huge fan and like what's what's the what are those experiences like oh it's fun yeah. like I sat beside a gentleman last night I was flying and we our flight was quite delayed so he's sitting beside me and he he was trying to look at my boarding card and he's like I knew it was you and he <laughs> says uh, I, I won't bother you I'll let you get back to your back to what you were doing but I just have to tell you that you've given us hours of enjoyment the shots that you make blow my mind and Manitoba would not be the same without you wow and so and then I always get a little emotional like because who in their life gets people to say that to them I said I just want to bother you for one autograph and then I'll let get you get back to being just Jennifer and so it was he was very very nice and we talked for a little bit and so it's never I still can't believe people want our autographs and so it's um it's a privilege and something that I will always be grateful for. I finally remember what Prince Charles said to me, not the joke, okay. but he shook my hand and he said, you won the Olympics in his English accent, which I don't have. <laughs> and I said, yes, yes, we did. Just bloody well done. Just bloody well done. Oh, That's no. really hard. <laughs> no was, kidding. So it's just, it would caught me off guard. Like I was like, what? Why? Thank you. So he was, um, yeah, it was kind of fun. Especially in the fashion you did it too, you know? Like that was a pretty dominant performance. Just running through. You know. in, in the moment, it... Everything just clicked, It I was think. just fun and I didn't realize the... I didn't realize what we'd accomplished until it was over. And yeah. Yeah, it was the best we'd ever performed in the biggest moment of our entire lives. As an athlete, it's all you can ever dream of and we did it. And it was the best that we'd ever performed and the best any women's team to date had ever performed in a major event and we did it at the Olympics, so... It feels pretty good. Felt pretty great, yeah. Well, <laughs> at the end of our time together, I ask everyone the same seven questions. Sure. Uh, so don't think about it too much, but we call it the just because segment. So you okay to do that? Yep. Okay, great. First question. What is the very first cause that you remember caring about? Humane society. Mm. 
puppies and kitties and all that good stuff. Yeah, I had a soft spot for animals. Definitely a soft spot for animals. Beautiful. Uh, question two, if money, politics, and logistics were no issue at all, what's the first thing you would do in support of whatever cause you choose? If you could just snap your fingers and something would happen, what would you what, what would you change about the world? Just equal opportunity for everyone, whether whatever they need, like equal opportunity for amazing health care, for, for the ability to play in sports, just equal opportunities so that everybody could have the opportunities to fulfill their life. To the, to the fullest possible way. That's so important mm -hmm. these days. Question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about one of the causes that you care about? Oh boy. Um, I mean, Special Olympics for sure, there's some stigma associated with the athletes and mm -hmm. about their ability to actually be included in society and what they bring to society. And, um, and that just, that breaks my heart because they have so much to give. And once you meet them, you'll never, ever think that. So just, I wish yeah. that people would have the opportunity to, to know how much special Olympic athletes bring to the table. Yeah. It stems just from lack of experience, lack of exposure and just an ignorance, ignorance. of the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, question four, what is the time in, what is a time in your life where you had to pivot because a plan wasn't working out how you hoped it would? Oh, these are like tough. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, obviously when I'm on a curling sheet and things aren't working well, I've got to pivot, pivot, but like a plan in life. Um, I think uh, I, I had a curling dream and I wanted to chase it and I was in private practice and my boss was so supportive, my mentor, and I, I had the most respect for him. He was the smartest lawyer. He treated me unbelievably well mentored me I learned a lot but I realized that if I wanted to chase my curling dreams I couldn't work in private practice and then I went went and worked for Wellington West Charlie Spiring approached me because he was a dreamer and he wanted to support my dream and he basically phrased it like that that we want you to come to Wellington because we know that you're chasing a dream and we want to support it and we'll work around what you need us to do and there's not that many people in this entire world that would do that. And Charlie Spiring did it and he lived in Manitoba and, um, without him, I, I wouldn't be sitting here today as an Olympic gold medalist. One of the probably hundreds of people that you could probably say that about too, right? Hundreds. Yeah. But, uh, as part, far as professional career, right. he, um, yeah, he supported me in every possible way. Uh, but it was just him reaching out to me and saying, come be a lawyer here. And we'll support your curling. And um, it was kind of never, not really heard of at the time. And yeah. I was very fortunate. So I'm I like, I, like I said, all these people that surrounded me that helped support the dream. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. Question five. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice. That you've ever, never, ever let anybody tell you you can't do something. Never, ever let anybody knock you down and take away your dreams and your confidence and your belief in yourself they're going to say bad things they're not worth hanging around question six what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could talk to her right now join sports sooner <laughs> no i was in sports then <laughs> just um my 10 year old self just just it's don't be so scared i was so shy and so timid and just step out of your box and have a little bit of fun
I'm glad you eventually did step out and have some fun. Last question. Thank you very much for your time and everything. Um, the last one's kind of hard, so take your time. They've all been hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing wonderfully. Yeah. Uh, question seven. What do you want to be remembered for? That's a hard one. I, w I would love to be remembered as somebody who was kind and who was thankful for the opportunities that she was given. And hopefully that I've inspired young people to chase their dreams. Well said. Thank you, Jennifer Jones, for talking to us today and being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you again to Jennifer Jones for your candor, your honesty, um, your insights, your inspirational uh, ideas and the way you approach life. It was one of my favorite conversations to date and a great way to kick off season two of Because and Effect. If you haven't subscribed, please go ahead and do that uh, through, ever, through whatever podcast player you happen to be listening to right now. You're going to get all the newest episodes of Because and Effect every Tuesday at 12.01 a.m. So it's as the clock strikes 12, you'll uh, get a new episode of Because and Effect. And uh, if you subscribe, you'll be first to hear every new episode. And we've got some really cool and inspiring guests lined up for season two. Very excited to share some of these conversations with you. Uh, and thank you for listening. It's, uh, this podcast wouldn't be uh, a thing without the audience. So thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you spending uh, a little bit of your time with us and learning about some of the causes that people care about and the effect that it has on their lives. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us on social media by searching at WPGFDN for the Winnipeg Foundation on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, all that good stuff. You can find me on social media at Nolan Bicknell as well. I love hearing comments about the show, feedback, ideas for guests. Uh, I love talking to people, so hit me up on there. The music on the Because and Effect podcast was produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can find out more of his music and more information about him at trentonburton.com. Special thank you to Sonny Promolo, Rob Zirk, and Jeremy Morantz for production assistance on the Because and Effect podcast. This wouldn't be doable without you guys, so thank you so much for all your help. That's it for me. We'll see you on the next episode of Because and Effect. New episodes are every Tuesday. Make sure you subscribe. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, be sure to keep taking care of each other out there. Thanks. Bye-bye.